0: Welcome to Nothing Makes Perfect, a podcast about practice. I'm Jeremy, and in this episode, I spoke with Chichan Tay. He's a movement coach in Singapore who teaches handstands, calisthenics, and mobility. He believes in a fundamental principle of progression, as long as the buildup is thought through well and approached sensibly. You'll hear all about the details of his approach as we discuss beginner, intermediate, and advanced handstand skills. The only other thing I want to say before we get started is thank you. These conversations with the guests have been super enriching for me, but they become much bigger and more interesting when you join in the conversation. So thank you. All right, Chichan, thank you so much for joining me. I know it's late there. You finished up coaching your evening classes. I really appreciate you being here. Yeah, thank you for having me. So I thought it'd be a cool place to start. We go back a few years at this point. We've uh, talked about things like handstands and geeked out on all that uh, many times. But you were already like at a really high level of ability by the time I got to know you. And I think when someone looks at skills like yours doing one-arm handstands and backbends and all this stuff, the natural thought is like, oh, that person did gymnastics since they were three and you know, I could never do that if I didn't do gymnastics since I was three. So, could you talk about like how you first got into all this stuff?
1: Mm. Um, I mean, I first got into it when I was like 15 or 16. Mm-hmm. Um, because, um, back then for Singapore, it was during secondary school, and I was in this co curricular activity where uh, it was in a uniform group, uh, and The group of friends I was hanging out with at some point in time um, during recess time, school recess time, they were like hanging around under like a pull-up bar area and they were like doing pull-ups and stuff like that. So um, at some point in time, I started hanging out with them more and more and started picking up on all these bodyweight stuff. And along with that, because in uniform group um, co-curricular activity, um, we basically were given push-ups and stuff as punishment and I think all, all that stuff eventually built up to me um, developing an interest for like training and stuff and it all then started um, since then with a combination of body weight um, calisthenic stuff and a little bit of weight lifting and the earlier days it was uh, me taking inspirations from the early days of YouTube of like um, the street workout and like those uh, Arnold bodybuilding clips and stuff. So um, those uh, influenced me quite a bit. And then I went on to um, get more and more involved in like the local street workout community where um, I eventually met my first um, training mentors My first few training mentors who then introduced me to gymnastic strength training which was uh something that was growing back then in the earlier days so that kind of got me started eventually into like handstands uh, mobility work and um from that point on yeah that was the start of it gymnastic strength training was uh kind of the initial background that i kick started off with
0: yeah Nice. And when you say gymnastics strength training, is that like capital letters? Like are you talking about gymnastic bodies and Coach Summers and all that? Yes, that is it. Yeah. So that
1: was the earlier days where he just started coming out within the community. Yeah. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Nice. And when I look at your work, I guess it's not too surprising that um, that that is what led you to where you are now. But I see like, discipline, consistency, hard work, long term thinking, you're like, all right, if I want to be able to do this skill in five years, I'll just do, you know, 10 sets this week and next week and every week forever. And eventually I'll get there, which I think makes a lot of sense, but isn't how (laughs) most people operate. Um, Do you like looking back before you were 15? Did you have any other practices, either physical or in school or anything where you think you kind of like developed that way of approaching work and practice? Mm, Prior to 15,
1: I honestly don't think so. Mm -hmm. But I guess um, in the earlier days where I was uh, kind of within, like doing street workout and stuff, calisthenic stuff, um, I was generally more on the safe end of things in comparison to when things gradually grew back then, people were doing, like, bar hops and, like, handstands and, like, levers and, like, acrobatic-ish stuff around the bars. And I'm like, no, I think those stuff are either too advanced for me or, like, I really don't dare, like, to be hopping from bar to bar and stuff like that. So I'm just going to decide to, like, stick on, like, the basics and, like, you know, just build up, like, a solid foundation of, like, good pulling, pushing strength before I even decide to do any of those stuff. So I think that was the initial bit of it. And I guess if I had to try to um pull in things that might have contributed to this because um I mentioned uniform group. So basically it's like a in some ways like a military-ish kind of a co-curricular activity where we were in like the police section. National okay. Police Cadet Corps. So um I, I guess being in like a police military ish kind of a co-curricular activity, that kind of um instills some sense of like um discipline and stuff. And moving on to like when I was in tertiary education, I was also um in judo. Okay. And you know, also committing to like training and stuff like that. I feel like now that I think about it, all this uh, stuff that I've been going through over like secondary school and like in my tertiary education um, kind of um, over time solidified my um, training discipline on top of what I was doing on my own with the calisthenic street workout stuff because um, I feel like it just didn't feel right to just give up on things halfway. Like I'm in it already, there are people. That's probably expecting certain stuff of me and I'm going to just push through it. And yeah, I guess that was like the base bit of it that helped to um, build up my training discipline. And yeah, I think that's that.
0: So going back to kind of where the question came from, it's not the case that you were like molded by a team of Olympic gymnasts from the time you were three. But it is the case that you had like support, accountability,, um, that kind of infrastructure, and then that base of foundational strength. Yeah. right? So coming into like your 20s, it wasn't like, oh, I'll just try this stuff for the first time. You had a really solid foundation. So maybe you know so- someone listening can kind of look at the those qualities, like consistent practice and uh, focusing on the basics and maybe that's something we can kind of adopt regardless of where we're starting. Uh So I do want to get into handstands and I kind of want to like I think we'll probably span a huge range of talking about total beginners and really advanced stuff and everywhere in between. But I want to just like preface the whole handstand conversation (laughs) in a couple of ways. So first of all, we both know a lot of people who coach handstands. We each coach handstands ourselves. And uh, there's this whole like culture of people kind of having different views on handstands. And so you talk to 10 handstand coaches, you'll get like 60 different opinions on handstands. Yeah. So I definitely want to get into that. But the other thing is, there's this relationship with perfection in handstands. It's like part of the reason I called this podcast, Nothing Makes Perfect. It's kind of my response to the handstand idea. And in a lot of kind of little worlds, the idea that you need to do it in exactly one way and the perfect coach tells you how to use the perfect technique and then you become perfect yourself. Yeah. So I just thought that would be kind of a useful jumping off point. What like how do you relate to the idea of perfect when it comes to handstands? Um... I know
1: I think perfect is overrated that's for (laughs) sure Um, like I've encountered a, a huge amount of people who are so obsessed with like getting perfect this getting perfect that and it at some point in time got to an extent where it's just hindering their training progress and even like affecting their mood and stuff um mm-hmm. as they are getting so obsessed with like um being perfect over handstand and stuff so i don't know i i i don't feel like they're exactly to blame and and it's a a, a whole um build up of what's being told to them what they have gathered online and stuff like that that led them eventually to to come to a to a, a An impression that oh you know i either gotta do this right or otherwise i'll build up um bad habits that'll be difficult to kick off and it'll take a few years of like a correction to get back on track and stuff like that but i don't honestly see it that way and arguably i feel like all these bad habits or supposedly claimed mistakes are just uh uh subset uh, a part of a variable of what you are capable of overall Mm -hmm. like what is bad form or what is a mistake on one discipline can be um something that's advantageous on another discipline as with my um multiple experiences from like dabbling a little bit in a couple of different disciplines like you would let's say have like capoeira fellas who like handstands with bent-ish elbows sometimes with their head in and with uh, certain positions that's advantageous to that discipline itself but is frowned upon and like something else like you know uh, your circus hand balancing or gymnastics and stuff like that so a lot of things basically are very context dependent and when people are just being fed very specific narrative it just spirals them down into like oh, shit, I must be um, doing something wrong. Oh, I must be learning the wrong things. And at some point in time, they get upset over, shit, I didn't realize I was wasting my time all this while I'm doing the wrong things. And like, you know, I, I, I don't exactly know how to put it. But yeah, it just gets to a point where it's unhealthy, basically. So yeah.
0: Okay, awesome point about the different practices, different cultures, like, if your goal is to be a break dancer, and you go to learn a handstand from a circus hand balancer, the most important conversation you can have is about clarifying, like, what is your goal? And what is a handstand to you? Um, So I love that point. And then I'm thinking, like, okay, it's not not that helpful to tell someone who's, let's say, a perfectionist, like, don't try to be perfect, (laughs) right? That's not a useful thing to say. So maybe we can talk about what is important or alternative ways to approach it. So yeah. I'm imagining this conversation is titled like imperfect handstands. <laughs> so let's talk about the beginner first. I'm trying to learn how to get upside down with the support of a wall or a coach, or you know, I'm I'm not trying to balance a handstand, I'm trying to get upside down onto my hands. You might say, okay, you need to have the perfect hand position and the perfect shoulder position and all that. What's an alternative? Like what actually is important for the beginner? Spending time being in a position, like
1: finding different ways to walk into an inverted position and understanding that because as a beginner, you might have limited training capacity. You might also spend some amount of time building up supposed prerequisites, like all your mobility prerequisites and stuff like that, general strength work that may supplement towards um, improving your ability to do more of going upside down. So I think over time, as you build up better and better capacity, both on the strength and mobility end of things, then you can be more capable of spending more time upside down. And that's where things might slowly change to where the training ratio might be more towards being upside down and lesser towards like general strength and mobility work so yeah that's off the top of my head
0: awesome so two points i want to pull out there one is kind of this i would call it like befriending you Mm -hmm. have to kind of get to know the thing and get comfortable with it and that could look so different for different people just like actual befriending yeah and then the other is building capacity to practice in the first place, like handstands are a really demanding thing on anyone's body. So yep. if you're gonna want to befriend, get comfortable, get better at it in any way, you're gonna need to build up some capacity, and it's pretty specific. Like most, you know, most adults don't just have the capacity to <laughs> flip upside down and do a handstand, right? Yeah. Um, so great points there. When you say you said spend time in the position. And then you talked about like prerequisite strength and um and building capacity. so when you work with a total beginner who uh, hasn't gotten upside down at all, do you like how much time do you spend with them in you know positions that I would look at and be like, oh, that's handstandy stuff." like they're on their hands upside down ish in some way versus doing like a shoulder strengthening exercise or a wrist flexibility exercise that I could look at and not even know that they were training for handstands?
1: Um, I think it depends on who we are looking Mm -hmm. at, right? Because sometimes they may claim that, oh, I haven't been upside down before in my entire life. But prior to that, they may have some form of like, uh, background experiences prior to this that may have provided them with like a good amount of like base strength or mobility or like level of coordination and awareness that um they may not feel um influences and effects like their starting point with like their handstand practice so that should be taken into consideration because sometimes um it ranges from someone who cannot step up into like a chest facing wall handstand like Mm -hmm. the moment they put one foot on against the wall then the other their arm starts to shake a whole lot and they can't hold there for anything more than like five seconds and so with that we may have to take several steps back and just um familiarize with like much easier versions of going to a handstand like position and then um the ratio of being in a handstand-like position to like doing general strength mobility work um maybe like um like a two is to eight for example where you just spend like 20% of like a whole one hour um just exploring to being upside down 80% of it doing general work just so that they don't feel so um um demotivated like oh shit this stuff is so hard i'm spending one whole hour and i barely did anything but still try to fill them with like meaningful information that they can accumulate and over time as they build up more and more capacity then they can start to implement um, more and more stuff towards like being in a handstand and all that thing but if someone comes in with like pretty good experience uh, like or pretty good background level they can walk up against the wall and i guess the ratio might change a little bit you might we might be able to expose them to more initial sets of like handstand drills, and still fill in with like the necessary um details over time about awareness stuff like scapular awareness, and finishing up with like basic strength conditioning work so that um it properly um supplements them in the big picture. Not sure if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. The way you describe it reminds me of my conversation with Aaron Martin about soft acrobatics. Yeah. And he talked about different skill ladders. Like there isn't one ladder to get to the skill. There are a lot of different ladders. So what you're pointing out is your role as a coach, when an individual comes in with all of their background experience, interests, goals, et cetera, you're trying to find the ladder that suits them. So even though you're trying to get to the same looking position, it might, you know, for someone, it might be, um, about shoulder strength for someone. It might be about scapular awareness for someone. It might be about fear or comfort or confidence. Um, so yeah, I really like that you're like right off the bat. Your answer was basically, it, it depends. depends. Yeah. Yeah. Because I guess
1: if I could add in on that point, like over my years of like interacting with like a whole variety of students, Initially in my earlier years of teaching, I would have like a fixed set of syllabus that I'll run them through. Mm-hmm. And at some point in time when I do have students that I'm stuck on with them for like a couple of years and I realized, oh shit. I've been following what I think was a syllabus that should have worked, but I'm not getting them anywhere. They're like stuck, stuck. And I start to think like shit. is there something wrong with what i'm teaching and like when i start to to try to um figure things out i then realize that oh it turns out that for example they may never have realized that this is how shoulder elevation should be like for example and all this while i've been telling them oh yeah just push just push you know just just get the shoulders to the ears and and that's elevation and when you start le- when i start checking on let's say like oh can I see, like, can you move your scapula, for example? And like, oh, no wonder. Shit, I've been like, wasting like two damn years, like, telling you. <laughs> Just push, you know, you'll be fine. Just push. And like, I didn't realize that I, I haven't noticed this at all before. And I felt really, really bad about it. So I guess nowadays, I'm much more um wary as compared to in my earlier years of teaching and um, much more um, experimental with stuff and, and you know just getting them to try different things. And we figure out together, both me and them, to see what works best. Because sometimes what I think initially work may not actually work. And when we spend a couple of like sessions together, then um, they start giving feedback like, oh, what do you mean by this, actually? And we start working off from there to try to, um, work on this process together rather than me dictating what they should do. And it, it's basically like a cookie cutter approach that works for some may not work for others, but instead kind of, a, it depends, right? So, yeah.
0: Yeah, there's, it's not that there's anything wrong with having a progression or a clear understanding of different levels of ability or anything like that. It's that there is no one progression that will work predictably for everyone. Like, yeah, for sure. What you're pointing out is the more experience you have, the more kind of humble you have to be because you realize that just trying to come up with that one progression, you've already kind of written some people off because it's not going to make sense for them. Yep. So I'd love to move to kind of what I might call like an intermediate level where someone is now very comfortable kicking up to the wall or to a spotter and they want to start transitioning into a freestanding handstand, balancing it on their own. Mm -hmm. So let's say they can kick up against the wall and they want to be able to kick up in the middle of the room or, you know, out in a park or something and balance a handstand a bit. We're not talking about like performing in the circus or anything like that. Just uh, balance a freestanding handstand. Mm -hmm. So, again, one approach would be like you need to have perfect technique and position and everything needs to look exactly like this as it eventually will on stage in the circus. Um, And I think it's pretty clear we're not going in that direction. So what is actually important? Is it, is it one thing to focus on? Are there 10 things when you want to go from against the wall to off the wall? Um, at this
1: point in time, it a, a surface level answer will again be it depends because... <laughs> It depends on where you're currently at right because um it can differ um between let's say a yoga girl who is pretty damn flexible versus like a strong like crossfit guy who can't touch his toes and stuff like that like the first example the yoga girl may probably have an easier time for example in like getting into like nice handstand shape and alignment but with the moment they move out of like the usual handstand alignment, they may struggle to like catch themselves back into shape. Whereas like the crossfit, strong crossfit guy may not get into the prettiest handstand shapes, but he's strong enough to like, you know, muscle his way through plenty of stuff. So giving that as a context, um, when I start to um, help um, intermediate level people, what I do for my classes is um, I approach it by topics. Let's say this month I was focusing on like having you work with head in position and how that relates to like how your shoulder is being um, positioned and in turn affecting your handstand alignment. Um, some months ago, I was working on like trying to deliberately shift into like a mini hollow back position and trying to practice of balancing while feeling more weight to the wrists. And another half a year ago, I was working on like press to handstand and stuff like that. So my rationale is that I have a variety of people coming in and each of them may require different solutions to different things or different stimulus to address different weak links. And so... um. Sometimes when I do hit certain specific topic that that individual needs, then I'll get remarks like, oh shit, that was helpful. Like, I didn't realize that like, this was actually a thing like, I've been told this and that, but I didn't realize it was, it should be, uh, it's basically this. Like, oh, I didn't realize like me overextending the neck caused me to like, you know, pull my torso out of position. And therefore, all this while I've been struggling with handstand alignment, for example. So now that we are approaching this head and stuff, I may initially have thought that hidden is something pretty advanced that I should only touch on sometime later. But now that I'm approaching this hidden with the intention to spend time building better awareness on like scapular stuff, shoulder positioning, I didn't realize how it translates to alignment and all. So, um, yeah, that's why I favor on working on like different topics and. That is also influenced by like the different types of students that I see and encounter and what I initially think may help them. And then further, um, refining on like the type of drills that I give and stuff like that along the way. Yeah. So I, I don't think I, I, I exactly answered the question, but I feel like at this point in time, having explored different topics with different types of students, um, I think my, over, my final uh, response to your question is um, it's always worth exploring the stuff. Even if you feel initially like it may be a bit out of your reach, you may get certain takeaways that may actually address what you have been struggling with for like the longest time until you were willing to explore into stuff. Yeah.
0: All right. I'm not going to let you off the hook that easily. My... <laughs> It's my journalistic integrity. I represent, you know, nothing makes perfect media. I have to do my my job here. I totally hear you. what What I'm hearing is it's a nonlinear approach, right? Yep. There's not one drill for exactly the right time, and that's the only thing that matters. There, you know, sometimes you could reach a bit too far into advanced skills. Sometimes you could return to a foundation. Sometimes you could be working on three different drills at once. And then, of course, there's an individual nature to it. Different people relate differently to different processes. Yep. I totally agree with both of those. I'm not trying to be a dick. And <laughs> I think if we come at it from a slightly different angle, we might get closer to like what is an actual answer that maybe doesn't depend. Mm-hmm. Um, so instead of thinking about what does a student need at a given time, Let's think about what is the task. So we, we're going from handstand against the wall to freestanding. Let's do a task analysis of what a freestanding handstand actually is and what we can kind of sensibly say about it for, you know, 80, 90, 97% of people. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, if I say, this is how I used to teach the handstand, I would say, um, straighten your arms, push through your shoulders, tuck your pelvis, straighten your legs, squeeze your feet together, point your toes. It'd be like this laundry list of what position you need to be in at every joint, Yep. which I don't do anymore. I think it's uh, way too much information if nothing else. But I wanna kind of try to boil things down to what actually is important. So we have a freestanding handstand. Everyone's gonna look a little bit different, But what's the same? Like, what's true of the handstand?
1: Mm, Definitely having the strength to be able to hold in the position. Having ability to, like, control through your hands to be able to balance. And, like, having the awareness to be able to position your joints properly, you know, so that um, when you go up, you know what adjustments to make to be able to... um, hold yourself in an ideal shape when you kick up into the handstand. So Okay, wait,
0: can I I stop you there? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's already three like giant things that we can talk Mm -hmm. about, right? So the strength to not like uh, crumble under gravity, right? So if we want to talk about useful technique or effective technique instead of perfect technique, it's going to be technique that allows you to push enough that you can stay there. You can support your weight over your head, right? Mm -hmm. So that'd be one. And then the second one was the uh, control in your hands to balance. So would you agree that when you're talking about a two-arm handstand, there's kind of like front-to-back balance is the priority? Yeah. So you might fall too far forward, you might not go far enough, and you have this sort of like linear problem of I have to build enough control, awareness, strength, etc., to stop myself from going too far forward or too far back. Yeah. And then the awareness, I think you said something like um, the awareness to uh, stack your joints properly. Obviously there will be a record of this. So someone listening is like, no, you totally misremembered that. But let's say something to that effect. Can Mm -hmm. you dig into that one a bit more? Like what do you need to be able to stack and how?
1: Mm stacking as or or like adjusting joints accordingly as in being able to you know elevate your scapula being able to like you know tilt your hips towards posterior tilt and being able to make the fine adjustments of adjusting ribs in um so that you get into that supposed nice straight handstand position and then yeah having the awareness also to like precisely get things up and without over or under jumping so that you can, yeah, precisely get into that position. Not sure okay. the answers. Mm.
0: So you said to get into that straight position, right? So yes. there's this kind of underlying assumption that a better handstand is a straighter handstand. So from your perspective, like, you know, you mentioned elevating the scapula, pulling the ribs in, tucking the pelvis posteriorly. And I think we can like geek out here a bit because I think anyone who doesn't care about handstands has stopped listening like a long time ago. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, those things to try that help you achieve a straight line mm-hmm. from your perspective is a straight line just something that like arbitrary that you can choose to do if you want and those are ways to do it? Or is it an important means towards any other end?
1: Mm. Sorry, come again. Could you?
0: Yeah. So you talked about different pieces of making yourself into a straight line, Mm -hmm. right? Different body parts that will, like, different movements that will make you straighten out. Yep. But I'm trying to get at why would someone want to be in a straight line? Is it just because that's their whole goal? Is I want to be able to do a handstand in a straight line. How do I do that? And you say, tuck your pelvis and all that. Or is being in a straight line, part of another goal like if you want to be able to balance it's better to be in a straight line or if you want to eventually learn a press handstand or a one-arm handstand you know is it the end in itself is it the goal or is it just a way of getting to some other goal
1: um to me it's arbitrary i guess because you you i guess the 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 common perception is that being in a nice ideal straight line equals to it being efficient just because supposedly it's claimed to be um perfectly stacked and so it's easy to hold but the thing is efficiency and and like um easy can mean different things for different people right Mm -hmm. and so to me it's not necessary that the supposed um Circle standard or like straight handstand is required for you to progress to like other skills because, um, I'm sure we have all encountered like, um, cr- crazy, insane people from like different communities whom they have like a banana back handstand, but they can like do insane things like handstand push up into like handstanding on like dumbbells and bosu balls and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I mean it's it's not exactly necessary. I feel like it's just something that's uh, overrated to some extent um based on like how leaders of like the community are like preaching like oh this has to be the way and so everyone is following along and like trying to chase for it. But um there is definitely value in like having some form of like arch for example initially because that's their version of being efficient at that current point in time, or that's what's more accessible for them. And over time, things can definitely change as they improve on like, multiple different factors. Um, yeah. So basically, um, working with what's currently um, manageable for them and trying to branch out accordingly depending on what they're trying to chase for,
0: so, yeah. Okay, cool. Did that kind of answer your question? Yeah, I think what you helped clarify is you. we had these three things, right? And the third one was the awareness to kind of move different parts of you in certain ways. Mm-hmm. But what you clarified was the way you were describing moving those parts was to get to a straight line, mm-hmm. even though that's something you consider somewhat arbitrary. Mm-hmm. So what you're pointing out is to get into any certain position will require your ability to move a variety of things to get into that yeah. position, right? Yeah. And different people can can strive for different positions. Yeah. But what I liked about what you said is efficiency isn't like, there isn't one efficiency, even if there's one theoretical end goal, right? So even if you you buy like a mechanical argument that says this straight line will eventually be really sturdy, yeah. Still at any given point in someone's development, it kind of reminds me of what you said at the beginning. Like there's this fear of having a bad habit that will ruin everything. Mm-hmm. And I, I agree with you. You can you can change the way you relate to a skill as your capacity and experience change. And so yeah, what's efficient right now might look different from what will eventually be efficient. Yeah. So I want to stay here for for a moment i want to stay on this uh this level of ability so we're trying to learn this freestanding handstand can you walk me through i know you wouldn't have like the one drill that works for everyone Yep. but can you walk me through a drill that you do commonly use at this level and what's important to focus on i'm most interested in like how are you cueing someone or, or what type of constraints are you giving them how are you getting someone upside down with a wall or a spotter and telling them, like, here's what you're going to work on? Um, my, my common
1: sort of drill that I use would be, like, the chest to wall, where, you know, um, depending on the handstand shape, um, they walk up and adjust accordingly. But where I'm typically quite picky about is mm-hmm. that, you know, you... Have to try to shift up to a point where it feels very, very, very light between like the foot and the wall. Because, um, it is quite common that, um, if supposedly the goal is to try to get up into the, get up against the wall and then, you know, try to peel off, it's quite common that people tend to rush through things, right? Just get up, they move their, body accordingly, then they try to like jump and kick off the wall and stuff like that. And that basically just isn't very helpful at all. You can spend like a good amount of time just kicking against the wall. But if you are not uh, technically stacked from your center of mass over to your base of support, um, you're just flopping back and forth in a very unhelpful way. So what I instead tell people, tell students is that you might want to take a step back and just pay attention to how you're shifting and supposedly if you are properly stacking your body regardless of whatever shape it is or depending on what sort of objective you're working with you can't go wrong with like um trying to shift up to a point where it feels very 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 light between the toes and the wall because that would then be a very clear indicator that yes you are now in the uh, supposedly correct position and from then on you could, uh work at it in multiple ways you could stay there staying very very light to build up strength and control or endurance in that position you could proceed to try to peel off to to practice on your ability to balance doing multiple reps of toe pulls or stuff like that so yeah that would be the main thing shifting into what i personally label as a quote-unquote balance point where you're not exactly balancing but you're shifted up to the point where it's really really light so that should give you a clear indicator as to being on the right track. So,
0: yeah. I love it. So, you, yeah. what you didn't say, I think is just as important as what you did say. You didn't say, do exactly this with your shoulders and exactly this with your hips and exactly this with your feet. You pointed at the actual principle that matters regardless of what position you're in and who you are. And that yep. is how much weight is into the wall. So, yep. you're, I, I picture it as like a scale. So let's say the wall is now measuring how much weight it has pushing into it. If it's 50 pounds or 20 something kilograms, and then you're trying to go from that to freestanding, I think of it as like, you're really far from your target. Like if you're doing archery or or shooting, whatever, you're standing really far away and then you have a long way to go and you hope for the best. And what you're saying is like, if your goal is to balance with zero pounds or kilograms on the wall, then you probably want to get down to like, two or one or 0.5 or 0.25 on your way to zero. Exactly.
1: Yeah. So imagine like a scale, a weighing scale against the wall, have it be as light as possible, um, as close to zero as possible.
0: So yeah. Awesome. Mm -hmm. So let's move from there to way more advanced. (laughs) So we went from uh, no experience to getting upside down. Then we went from, uh, comfort against the wall to building comfort away from the wall. Yep. Now let's go from two arms to one arm. Yep. Thinking of it as like the task analysis, what does a one-arm handstand involve? I guess I could end it there or like that a two-arm doesn't involve?
1: Mm, I guess it comes back down to the basic principles of like, you know, building strength and capacity in holding in one arm but more importantly, trying to build up the awareness and understanding over trying to stack your body over that one single arm and so all the things that your fingertips uh, fingertip holds against the or like stuff against the wall to like of different variations to try to build um, better sense of control over being on one arm so um yeah I guess that's that
0: so would the three foundations you mentioned earlier still be true at a at the more advanced level like you still need the the strength to support the weight upside down you still need the control in now the one hand to uh control the balance and then the awareness of various parts of your body to you know align yourself and change what position you're in
1: yeah for sure um yeah
0: yeah <laughs> so this is a sincere question like I have gone through the first two levels we've talked about, and I've coached a bunch of people through them, but I have mm-hmm. not gone down the one arm uh rabbit hole. So I'm I'm actually asking, <laughs> I'm not just trying to set you up for something here. Like we talked about the forward and back balance of the two arm. So yeah. I know when you go to one arm, all of a sudden now you have to deal with like side to side and rotation, you have a lot more degrees of freedom. You could fall in a lot more directions. Mm-hmm. So can you talk to me like do most beginner one arm handstanders fall in the same direction or the same couple of directions like what are the the common uh, mistakes
1: Mm. as of what i've observed i feel like they are rushing to take their other hand off too soon because Mm -hmm. like the common progression being used is like your straddle fingertip hold and eventually taking fingers away until eventually you supposedly feel like it's relatively light on the hands and you just rush to take the hands off so that's like a common pitfall where people don't spend enough time on those fingertip progressions they just rush to take their hands off and myself included typically that is just like you know short-lived excitement of oh yes i'm balancing on one arm but what we don't realize is that we are just like slow falling and rotating <laughs> out until you know we 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 get into a point where hmm how come I can't balance for anything longer than that but I feel like it's quite necessary to spend time holding in that position so that you build up like the, the strength the endurance to be in that position and like all the small little adjustments behind like being on one arm while having like um, that little bit of support that comes from like that one of you fingers because um, even if like you're on like one arm and one finger, um, that one finger is giving a lot, a lot of help, more than what you might have expect as compared to lifting the arms, uh, lifting that one finger off. And through that, there's a lot of things to be like learned from being in that position, like how you're trying very hard to stay still in your body and not give in to like rotating or like collapsing in the shoulders and how you're like trying to make adjustments with the hands and stuff like that so yeah don't take fingers off too soon (laughs) it, it it is much more important than people realize in like doing uh um building up towards one arm handstand balance and even then like being able to balance is just the start of things like there's a lot more a lot a lot more details um that's to come and it's worth spending even more time being on fingertip just so that you can like further refine and develop on things rather than just uh, rushing into trying to balance so yeah
0: so one thing i just want to kind of zoom out and appreciate for a moment because i think it's true for any skill yep you're talking about not having to be perfect yep. but that doesn't mean so people often use perfection as an obstacle. Like you're not perfect yet. You haven't mastered this step. So you don't go on to the next step. And mm-hmm. you're kind of smashing that. <laughs> you're saying, like, we can get rid of that concept, but you're still pointing out the value of building a foundation and of building capacity and all these things. So it's not the case that getting rid of the idea of perfection means now you're rushing, like, oh, I can get myself upside down. So I'll just try the one arm and and hope for the best. There's still a real process and it's extremely thoughtful it's just not perfection (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm.
0: so taking a step back on the one arm just to confirm you're talking about removing fingers so to make sure i'm understanding properly at first let's say i want to do a righty one arm handstand so Mm -hmm. at first i'll have my entire left hand down and then you'd go to five fingertips is that right yep yeah and then gradually four to three to two to one yep and the thumb should always come off
1: first because the thumbs are playing quite a big role in supporting. So thumbs should go first, then gradually followed by pinky and ring and middle finger and stuff. So yeah.
0: Cool. So mm-hmm. this question I think will help clarify kind of your a bit about your approach at all levels. Mm-hmm. So those three foundations again we talked about, like the strength to carry yourself upside down the control in the hands to balance, and then the awareness to uh, know know where different parts of your body are. In the one arm, when you're you're starting to learn the one arm, is there a predictable one or two of those that are more often the limiting factor for people?
1: Mm, I
0: definitely think
1: it's more of the strength factor I feel like people are severely underestimating how much strength it takes to hold a one arm position mm-hmm. because taking my own experience um, as reference, um, I have times where I manage to feel like I've shifted into a point where I'm like nicely stacked and I feel like I'm pushing enough to be able to take my hands off to balance for like a brief bit. but if I were to try to balance for anywhere past like two, three, four seconds, I can feel myself slowly collapsing in the shoulder and slowly just falling off to either side. And yeah, that's where I then realize over time of like failing repeatedly, because I'm collapsing in the shoulders like, oh shit, I feel like I'm trying to balance a little too soon, where I mm. should have spent more time on like fingertip holds so that it it kind of ties in back to what I mentioned earlier about the whole balance point thing and imagining like a weighing scale, uh, against the wall. Yeah. So, rather than the wall anal- or using the wall as like a pressure gauge, as a scale gauge, you kind of reimagine that to around the fingers, where you want to try to stay as light as possible on your fingers, while trying to um adjust properly and be able to hold up there for as long as you can or for whatever your objective and intention was while staying as light as possible on the fingertips. So, yeah, whatever concept that was applied to two-arm against chest-to-wall kind of applies here in your one-arm fingertip stuff as well.
0: So the reason I asked about one-arm first, I'm curious, the same exact question about two-arm or any level of difficulty, Mm -hmm. but if I was hearing you properly earlier, it sounds like you're saying the closer to a beginner handstand someone is, the more variation there will be between people in terms of what is stopping them. Mm-hmm. And then as you get more and more advanced, like it's unlikely you're dealing with someone who really has all the strength they need to do a one arm right away. And mm-hmm. it's just a matter of learning how to tuck their pelvis at that point. Yeah, probably. Cool. Mm-hmm. Um okay so i want to ask about your own practice mm-hmm. um, let's go to like i know i've seen you practicing a lot of backbend stuff really cool but is there a handstand related project um that's like currently like the past couple weeks these next couple weeks you're you're currently focusing on um on top of
1: chipping my way through one arm handstand and trying to build back towards being able to balance because um, I I basically kind of regressed to some extent as I was shifting my focus a little too much towards backbend stuff, and now trying to build my way back up again. Otherwise, the main projects I'm working on are to get better at transitioning to and fro from like a plunge up to a handstand and towards like a... Mexican or hollow back position whatever the viewers might uh, or the listeners might know it by like through to like a hollow back or Mexican down to a bridge and back up so I, I'm quite obsessed or quite interested with trying to develop control through as many different ranges and movements as possible so in like a perspective of handstand being able to press up through a bridge in through like a Mexican or hollow back into straight and back down into a plunge is like a good good um high level expression of it. So that's where I'm currently at right now as like a peak goal to work towards. Where I'm currently addressing it um separately for the time being. Doing like partial plunge presses and like doing like um partial um hollow back uh peel offs to into straight and back into what's a hollow back position. So that's where I'm currently at right now.
0: Yep. Nice. I want to give you a lot of credit. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know if you're familiar with the term constraints led approach, but yep. you definitely embody it. And I think like, honestly, thinking back literal years, I feel like I was kind of learning about manipulating constraints in a skill from watching yep. you approach these really high-level handstand skills before ever knowing about any of like the research or any of that. Sure. Um, so can you walk me through whichever one of either the the planch or the hollow back um, kind of progression or skill ladder you're working with and how you're using like physical objects and and measuring it and what type of progression you're building as opposed to just like I'm going to try it and then sometimes I fall and sometimes I don't.
1: Yeah. Um I could use the plunge press as like a example to work with where um what I do currently is to measure how far my hands are positioned with uh blocks um where it was a uh, kind of an idea taken from another friend of mine. So I'm like measuring like oh three long block distance between my wrist and the wall and I'm going to be trying to press as uh, best uh, with as much control as possible from like a partial plunge position in towards a straight handstand and try my best to be able to like control my way back to the wall where I'm touching my feet as gently as possible back onto the wall so I'm mentioning the whole blocks stuff as a measurement because um sometimes with body weight stuff it can get quite challenging for people to measure progress. Um, the very common way is like oh you know your plunge progressions you have tuck plunge into a half lay into like a straddle plunge into like a full plunge, but like the jump the 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 steps required or the effort required to go from one progression to another can sometimes be a very <laughs> big leap. And that's where a lot of people get stuck at, you know. So um, I feel like small little, um, like novel little ways, like measuring how far you're placing your hands from the wall, such that it presets on how low towards the plunge I'm working with um, as a starting point when I'm doing my partial plunge press, and that the further I move my hands from the wall, the lower I am towards horizontal in towards a full plunge position. And from there, other factors like let's say, hmm, what is my objective here? Am I trying to test like my one rep max equivalent of like a plunge press? Shall I try to like move my hands as far away as possible and in a measured manner and try to press with a best possible form or am I trying to build more um, um, capacity, build more, um, build up through uh, more rep ranges, you know, and so working with a closer hand placement distance and going through like um, more repetitions in a row or shall I just spend time in a plunge position, that partial plunge position, I'm going to peel off and try to hold for like that partial plunge position. like a little bit of balance time and returning back to the wall so like there's so many ways to like approach this and it's um definitely much more than just hey let's try to do your plunge press we are going to go from a tuck plunge press up to tuck handstand to like a half lay position up to like a bent knee straight handstand to like a straddle plunge to straddle handstand like there's definitely much more to that that people um Either may not realize or may not put enough, um, uh, thought or notice to it because um, yeah, they they, I guess they are they are, they they don't exactly acknowledge the value of all these drills, I suppose, and just want to do like the skill itself.
0: I love this so much. (laughs) Um, Okay. So in kind of terminology I've used before, what what I'm hearing you describe is you've figured out the crux of the skill you're trying to work on, and then you've come up with a way to get feedback on that crux directly. So with the plunge, it's like, you have to be able to lean your shoulders a millimeter further forward over and over and over again to be able to counterbalance more weight from your lower body. Yep. So we have this problem with body weight movements where as opposed to like lifting a barbell, you can't just add a kilogram, add five kilograms, add 10 kilograms. You don't necessarily know how much you're adding when you change the movement. Yep. So one strategy is like you mentioned, go from a tuck to uh, less of a tuck and then eventually open up into a straddle and then close your legs. It's a way of changing the weight, which is clever. Yep. But what you're pointing out is like you can measure it more directly. You don't need this kind of separate placeholder. You can actually say, I'm going to take the tuck or the full or whatever and actually measure like by measuring the distance from the wall, you're effectively measuring the lean of the shoulders. Yep, that's exactly it. I love it. So I want to make that more applicable to more people. The concept is what's really interesting to me. The plunge press, you know, cool skill. I love it. It's awesome. I hope you develop it and and congratulations. But for someone who is just trying to get up to the wall for the first time or trying to get from the wall to off the wall or at any level, do you have another example of like a hand balancing related skill where you have a clever use of constraints like that? Mm.
1: Does press to handstand sound like a kind of a skill
0: that's at a lower-ish level, I guess.
1: <laughs> <laughs> let's,
0: let's say yes for now. Um, mm-hmm. I'm sure there are plenty of people who have at least heard of or seen a press to handstand where someone lifts their legs off the ground with control and kind of floats up to a handstand. So what would mm-hmm. be an interesting process for developing that? Um If we talk about
1: press handstand as a skill to work towards, and maybe we could talk about the just getting up to the wall stuff later on. For press to handstand, I guess the important thing to first get a grasp of is, you know, the idea of shifting and stacking your hips over and being able to eventually just press your legs off. So initially, I would start with the wall first. Start with the wall because there's still that um top half from like the horizontal up to like the vertical straight handstand position where it's a i what i typically tell students is that the higher your legs are is towards vertical the easier it is strength wise Mm -hmm. and the lower it is towards horizontal and down beyond that the tougher it is strength wise so based on that idea to work with we would then initially start off using the blocks again to measure distance because the further I place my hands from the wall, from one block to one and a half to two to three, the further I place my hands from the wall, the lower my legs um, will be pre-positioned at, at a starting point. And I want to build up towards being able to both having um, a good level of understanding and awareness on how I should be shifting to be able to peel off and to have the strength to actually be able to peel off. So it's basically like a vertical press off the wall. And once they get up to a point where their legs are pretty close to horizontal, then that's where we move off from the wall and into like a stack of mats or off like an elevated height, like a chair or stuff like that, where we start off from like a horizontal-ish position and... From what they have uh, learned from trying to shift and peel press off the wall, they then kind of try to apply the same thing to this horizontal uh, surface, horizontal press, rather than a vertical one. So, eventually lowering the layer bit by bit until, yeah, they eventually reach the floor. And, um, along the way, you could kind of modify things accordingly if you kind of hit a roadblock because there might be um, factors like you know i feel like i'm jumping at some point in time or i feel like the moment i press off um, i end up collapsing in the shoulders or stuff like that so you could let's say um, take several steps back into an easier setup and try to work with um refining and slowing down your movement on the way up towards a straight handstand for example or trying to work on consecutive repetitions of presses with an easier setup so you can um, build up better levels of strength or endurance to be able to better keep up with more difficult setups or you could work with like partial presses partial presses where you know instead of pressing all the way up, you're just training specifically at the bottom ranges. So um, that's it. That's one of the common things, uh, common drill that I use nowadays, because I do realize that students tend to um, struggle um, when they get into a lower and lower setup. But when I start to adjust them to a slightly higher setup and get them to work with partial presses, where again, basically, instead of uh, going through all the way into, uh, through the full range into like straight hands, then they're just pressing like a couple of inches off whatever surface they're using as an elevation and back down and going for, say, consecutive repetitions or trying to press off that few inches and holding there and back down. And so that typically exposes quite a number of uh, weak links that they may have. They may either not be um, as... Good with their press technique where uh, as they initially thought they were, or they may uh not exactly have a good amount of strength to be ready to progress down to a lower height, and doing that partial press format may help them to close up the strength gap may help them to further refine their understanding over um the technique of pressing before they progress down so um yeah, that's one of the common ways I address certain like roadblocks with a uh, progress towards press to handstand.
0: And all the ways you're describing kind of problem solving, mm-hmm. you're you're talking about basically a clever enough setup that it doesn't rely on like the magical spotting ability of the coach, which I think is yep. so cool and important because there's so much reliance on like, well, if I want to learn a press handstand, I just have to go run to the coach and they'll kind of lift my hips up and then I'll be able to do it. So the ways you're setting up these drills, and I like to call them puzzles, you're basically empowering the student to be like, I now have this setup that I can use and I can tinker with and I can build strength and make mistakes and, and practice. Just like if you had, you know, a barbell, you could practice lifting it on your own. You wouldn't necessarily need someone standing there to help you lift it. You just... Make sure you have an appropriately weighted barbell for you
1: yeah um and on that note about um making mistakes and stuff um at least like a common um remark i get is oh but you know i i I crashed into the wall after i pressed up or um you know it doesn't look nice the form the movement doesn't look nice but like here's the thing right we we we, we don't start off perfect it's like we, we need to slowly build our way up towards what we think is ideal so what i do with students is i, I do want to try to help equip them with the ability to um, self-assess to be able to um, manage themselves when they are training on their own and not put themselves at the risk of like hurting themselves from like pressing and losing control and like you know crashing headfirst first onto the floor. So the first thing I immediately encourage, this is assuming that they have like a decent um, um control over their handstands to begin with, where I encourage them to you know be setting up in such a way that they are having their back be facing the wall. And it's okay to initially press up and just smash into the wall. Because we want to establish where the supposed vertical point is, right? And mm. not be too obsessed with hey, um, I, I gotta try to press strictly up into straight handstand balance, for example. and so, in the presence of a coach, sure, I can be behind you and I can adjust you up to that straight handstand position, but on your own, you may uh, the individual may not have like that level of ability to um manage and self assess assess on their own, and sometimes they may end up just falling and hurting them- themselves because. Um, they made a wrong uh decision to try to let's say press off a certain height where it was too difficult for them stuff like that so I always encourage students to you know be okay to touch the wall that's still a learning tool that you know um you don't have to tell yourself that you have to graduate from it's always there as a tool that's um, gonna stay relevant for a long time touch the wall first so that you establish where your safety net is eventually you try to um progress towards touching the wall gently even more gently up to a point where you can press up um till you know you can balance for a brief moment then intentionally touch the wall and okay you kind of have gotten a good um sense of control uh over this level of uh, elevation for your press handstand now we are gonna take um a a, a couple of inches off your elevation and we're going to try again with the same process that it's okay to touch the wall. Then afterwards, work towards touching the wall more and more gently until you can catch balance for a bit and intentionally touch the wall. So it's going through this whole process of being okay with quote-unquote failing successfully and then refining it and then eventually shaving the layers off your elevation until you reach your goal
0: of like pressing from the floor so yeah failing successfully very nice (laughs) I think what uh what I would call like your superpowers as a coach are kind of taking an individual's goals which are all different and helping them understand what about the skill is and isn't relevant to them and important and then helping them kind of get feedback on that and giving them setups to to work hard or do you know, pursue whatever it is about the skill that they want. So you yeah. kind of take this like vague idea of I wanna be able to do a handstand and you turn it into a really actionable, like, okay, given the way you want to be able to do it, here's a cool like um puzzle you can solve or or drill you can work on.
1: Yeah. It's basically problem solving along with the students like Again, I'm I'm not a fan at this point of like, here, here's a set of syllabus that you have to follow, you know, because at some point in time, again, cookie cutter approach may work for some, may not work for others. And at this point in time, now that I've met a whole variety of like students whom have like very unique uh problems of their own that they have been stuck with for the longest time, when I start, to try to problem solve along with them and find out like what they actually are struggling with and try to find like um puzzles and like ways to address things uh there's in like specific problems you then realize that oh actually what you need is um what's normally being prescribed to you and like you weren't being given the correct type of drills because supposedly you might have been told that this is bad form this is bad habit and so you have been straying away from it when that's actually what you need so i feel like again it's problem solving along with the students rather than being like um too fixed or dogmatic about like oh it has to be this way otherwise it's wrong and sometimes it can just hinder um someone's progress rather than helping them and i've seen enough cases of people getting frustrated with getting stuck and when i'm trying to break them out of it and tell them that it's okay to do this other way instead i, I think they are too far down the rabbit hole of oh this is a mistake it's okay i'll just continue trying anyways with watch this uh what this other guy has been telling me and uh yeah you know practice and all is coming and stuff like that so
0: yeah yeah i see it as like little tiny bits of activism against handstand dogma, which we have plenty of. We don't need any more of the dogma. Yep. So I want to be respectful of your time for people listening to this later. They might not appreciate that you're 12 hours ahead of me right now. So it's uh, we're coming up on 1am. Really, yep. really appreciate you doing this. It's always fun to geek out about handstands with you, but um, yep. hopefully some other people will will enjoy hearing it too this time. Thank you yep. so much. Thank you.